Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello Church, I hope you're doing okay. It's great to see you again. I trust that you're doing okay under lockdown, that the pressures, you know, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 that we are hard pressed but not overcome, not destroyed. And the, the pressure actually causes us to let our light shine out more. That's what 2 Corinthians 4 talks about. And so I'm trusting that this time of pressure is producing, just like when a, a, a grape is put in the pressure of the wine vat, that this time of pressure is causing you to thrive and to overcome. We were going to do part four of our faith-filled prayers series today, but because it's Liberation Day, where we're celebrating the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II, I'm gonna do a special service today about that because the lessons for us as believers from the whole of the Liberation Day story are just so precious and so beautiful. Plus, for us who live in Jersey, this is such a special day. For those of you who don't live in Jersey, did you know that the Channel Islands were the only part of the British Isles that was occupied by Nazi Germany during World War II? No other part of the British Isles were occupied by Nazi forces. And yet for us, for a period of nearly five years, we were occupied. We were governed by Nazi soldiers in Jersey. And there are people in our church and people in our island who are still alive today who can remember those times. And it was the most amazingly important, difficult, but transformative time for us as an island where we saw what we were made of, where it changed us and made us stronger, and where it set us on a new course. And as a result, we are so appreciative of the Liberation Day celebrations. And we have a public holiday in Jersey every year on the 9th of May to celebrate the day that we were set free after five years of Nazi occupation. For the rest of the world, it's a very important day as well. It's called VE Day, which stands for Victory in Europe Day, and that's celebrated on the 8th of May, the day before our Liberation Day. And on that day, um, the war was ended. The Nazi soldiers surrendered in Berlin and the war was ended. And then it took another day before the Allied forces, the UK forces came into Jersey and the Nazi forces surrendered to them here. So we were actually one of the last ones to be liberated in Europe. However, did you know that it was another three months until VJ Day, which is Victory in Japan Day. And in those three months, the war raged. Hundreds of thousands of people were taken prisoner, were killed. Um, it was a, a very fierce war for another three months in Asia and Japan. And it took another two or three years after that for all of the forces and the prisoners of war to come back home after the end of the war. And so what I wanna talk about today is to celebrate our liberty and our liberation and the end of World War II, but also to take some important lessons. Now you may be a Jersey person and you may think I know all about liberation. 
Who is this youngster who wasn't even alive there to tell me about liberation in Jersey? Who is this import to Jersey who, who moved here later in life to tell me about liberation? And you're right, I don't know as much as you about Jersey liberation, but I've learned a lot in my years here in Jersey. And I wanna tell you that there is some amazing parallels in the Bible for us to learn from the war. So let me start with a few facts and figures for you. First of all, let me tell you how many people died in World War II, because it is the most amazing um, and startling number when you realize how many people died. But in order to put that into context, because at the time of me recording this, we are under lockdown because the world is being um, assaulted by COVID-19. And the leaders of the world are trying their best to work out how do I protect people from dying, but how do I keep the economy alive? How do I enable people to live their lives in the best possible way, but at the same time, keep them safe from getting sick and especially the vulnerable people for this disease that we didn't even know existed a few months ago. The governments are trying to deal with that. And as a result, they've put most of the world under lockdown or restricted our movement significantly. And I believe they're doing their best to look after us. I don't believe they're doing a bad job. I think they're doing their best and we should, and we are praying for them and for our leaders and we thank God for them. But it's important for us to put everything into context. When we think about how we're suffering, oh, I've been stuck at home for three weeks. Oh, um, you know, all these different things that we're suffering. And for some, it, it is worse than others. For some, they are sick. For some, they have lost loved ones. For some, their businesses are at threat of having to close down. For some, it's much worse than others. But I wanna put it all into context because it's very important for us to remember and then to reflect upon where we are now and then to look ahead. And so I hope this is helpful to you. So let me put it all into context. The seasonal flu deaths this year from the beginning of the year till now, uh, which is middle of May-ish in the world are 167,273 people have died. Up until today, when I'm recording this show, the COVID-19 deaths around the world are 252,750. Up until today, this year, malaria has killed 337,144 people. Suicide this year alone, has killed 368,584 people. Car accidents have killed 463,983 people. HIV-related diseases have killed 577,806 people. Alcohol-related deaths are 859,666. Smoking-related deaths are 1,718,246. Heart disease deaths are estimated at around 2 million this year so far. Cancer this year so far, 2,822,904. And now the surprising one, abortion this year. So I've given you all those numbers, but now abortion this year alone has killed 14,612,690 innocent babies. 
World War I, for all the years that World War I raged, and it was named the war to end all wars. It was the most terrible war the world had ever seen at the time. And it killed 17 million people. The Spanish flu in 1918, which coincided with World War I, killed 50 million people. And World War II killed 75 million people. It was the worst war our world has ever seen. Every continent was involved, nearly every country. People died from every part of the world. In fact, you'd be surprised to know that Greece had 300,000 people die. Czechoslovakia, 340,000. The United States, 419,000 deaths in World War II. United Kingdom, 450,000. Italy, 492,000. Uh, the Philippines, 557,000 died. France, 600,000. French Indochina, a million. Yugoslavia, 1,027,000. India, 1,027,000. Japan, 2.5 million died. Poland, 5,900,000 died. Germany, 6,900,000 died. China, 15 million died. And the Soviet Union, 20 million. And those are the conservative estimates of the number of people who died. The, the effect on the world was extraordinary. Every economy was affected. People lost loved ones, lost plans, lost limbs, lost businesses, lost five years at least of their lives, lost educations, lost children, lost homes, lost plans. In Jersey, the war started in September uh, 1939. And in 1940, June 1940, Jersey people were given just a few days warning. And they said that Germany is going to invade the Channel Islands. You need to decide, are you leaving or are you staying? About 6,000 people left Jersey. The rest stayed. Some sent their children away. And it was just a time of turmoil. And then from the 30th of June, 1940, until Liberation Day, 1945, May the 8th, we were under occupation. The German forces invaded and occupied and ruled Jersey. They changed the side of the road that people drove on. The street signs were now in German. Uh, you weren't allowed to go out after a curfew time at night. You weren't allowed to have a radio or any communication with the rest of the world. Um, the, the, the restrictions were extreme. There was food rationing. There was fuel rationing. Uh, people weren't allowed to fish anymore, even though fishing was a big part of life here. They weren't allowed to fish. The, the beaches had landmines on them. Life was hard and we were under an oppressing and occupying force for five years. People suffered. Many people died. People were sent away to concentration camps and it was a very, very difficult time. And the question that occurs to me as a person who is younger, who wasn't alive at the time, is what was it like? First of all, for those who were seeing their loved ones leaving home, sending off sons and husbands and fathers off to the war effort. Members of my own family died or were taken prisoner in World War II um, and it affected us, but I'm sure there are many families that were affected even more than my family was. But that sense of sending them off why? 
because there is an evil oppressive force that wants to destroy us and destroy our way of life. You know, Hitler was demonically obsessed with conquest, but also with, with wiping out the Jewish nation. And, and that's why he, he just seemed to go on and on invading Russia, declaring war on America when he already had invaded most of Europe. He just kept on and on and on because he was obsessed with this idea of wiping out the Jewish race, as well as other things. He was fueled with bitterness and hatred, and he wanted to impose his race's superiority on other races. He was inspired by Darwin's teachings, Darwin's teachings of evolution, which said the survival of the fittest is the way that we progress. And so he said, we are fitter than other races. Let's destroy them. And he was taught a lesson, praise the Lord, as a result of the bravery of many people and the prayers of many people as well. But imagine sending, sending a loved one out. Imagine being one of those young men. You know, the average age of the men who died in World War II was 23. That's the average age. So they were a lot younger as, as well as older. And those men went out risking their lives. Many would run out towards an enemy knowing that there was a very high possibility they would die. They went to sacrifice their lives because they loved freedom, they loved their families, and they believed that it was right to stop an enemy. I just want to say something right now. You know, since World War II, we have had 75 years of reasonably continuous peace in the world. There have been wars, but they haven't been major wars. They certainly haven't been world wars. There haven't been any wars between superpowers or major powers in the last 75 years. It's been the longest period of relative peace since the Roman Empire. And you know, the peace that the Roman Empire brought in at the, the beginning in the early ADs, the peace that they brought in was called the Pax Romana. And it is credited by historians and by experts as being one of the main reasons Christianity was able to spread in the first three centuries after Jesus, because there was peace and there was a communication and transport network around the known world that enabled the Christians, even though they were persecuted and put to death for their faith, they were able to travel and communicate and the gospel could spread. Then again in the 1500s when the printing press was invented, communications enabled the gospel to spread. And now we are in a significant period of history where we have had 75 years of peace relatively since World War II. And there is a reason that God has put us here for, for this time. You have come into the kingdom for such a time as this that we can use this time and the tools at our disposal, including TV, internet, various other things, to spread the gospel. And they brought, they bought us freedom. They bought us the ability to lead normal lives, to own businesses, to have jobs, to travel, to express our ideas freely without fear of being punished or, or controlled, to have law and order and, and rules and governments and democracies and all these things that we enjoy today. The, the foundation that our lives are built on was bought with the blood of millions and millions of young men and a few young women as well. But the sacrifice that they gave 
for us is extraordinary and it's lasted beyond their children, but their children's children and so forth. We are all benefiting from the sacrifice, the deaths that they were willing to die for us. So the first thing we need to do is just to say thank you. Even though they're not alive anymore, we can appreciate them and we can say thank you to them. We can remember them with fondness, with gratitude and with soberness and say we are very, very privileged to be able to live as we do. But then the second thing that we can do is to understand the, the biblical parallels. You know, the Bible says that we are in a war. Just like Hitler got this crazy idea to invade and impose and subjugate and destroy other cultures, the devil had that idea right from the beginning. And he weaseled his way in through deception. He convinced Adam and Eve to trust him. And ever since then, he's been convincing people to trust him. And we know from Luke chapter 4, when he tempted Jesus, the devil showed Jesus, it says, all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to Jesus, these are all mine. They were given to me and I can give them to whomever I choose. The devil had control of all the kingdoms of the world. Just like Hitler had tried to invade the kingdoms of the world, the devil had successfully taken control of all the kingdoms of the world, using deception, using demonic um, evil and trickery and giving people a pretense or, or a form of happiness and pleasure, but always with a hook and with a price to pay. The devil is just like a dictator and an evil ruler. But Jesus came to set us free. Let's read a few verses. In Luke 11, verse 20, Jesus said, If I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And when Jesus said the kingdom of God, he was saying a new king, a righteous king, a good loving king has come to depose that previous king, Satan. And in fact, just a couple of verses before this, Luke eleven twenty, just before this, he called the devil's king kingdom a kingdom. And he said he has a kingdom. So Jesus was bringing a new kingdom in. And then he said in verse 21, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. Jesus was showing what his plan was to come in stronger than the devil and to take back the spoils. Uh, an um, incredibly uh, brave and powerful act of war to wrest back control from an evil dictator. In John 12, verse 31, Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He was talking about the devil and he was saying, when I die on the cross, I will have paid the price for all the sin of the world. The devil will no longer have a legal right to hurt people and coerce people and damage people. And I will take back the keys of death and Hades and I will be the new ruler. And then after he rose again, he said, now all authority has been given to me. Therefore, you, my followers, go and make disciples. Listen to the story from Revelation 12. Now, in the story, it's picture language, and John sees a picture of a woman giving birth to a male child, and there's a dragon who he names as Satan trying to kill the male child. Um, 
And in verse 9, it says, so the great dragon was cast out. It says there is a war in the heavenlies and the evil dragon, Satan, was cast out. It says in verse 9, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And in the story in Revelation 12, this comes after Jesus. So the casting of the devil out of heaven happened after Jesus died on the cross. That's what Revelation 12 chronology says. Jesus came and even though the devil had been cast out right at the beginning when he'd rebelled against God, somehow he'd found a way back to have access to heaven again. And that is what the whole of the Old Testament is. Do you remember in Job, it says that the devil came and appeared before God in heaven and said, I want to tempt Job. In Zechariah, again, we see the devil accusing the priest, Joshua, and uh, he's in heaven and he's accusing him. And here it says that when Jesus won the war and cast him out, he was thrown down to earth. Verse 10, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Praise the Lord. The devil no longer has the right to go into heaven and ask God to tempt us. Verse 11, and they overcame him. Who's they? That's us the ones who are on the earth. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. It sounds like those soldiers in World War II. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. There is this time between the victory and the mopping up operations. Now, there are two um, similarities in World War II that I want to use to help you understand this. So Jesus won the war and he cast the devil out, but there is a period of time. It actually tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 24, it says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So he wins a victory, but then there's a period of mopping up. So the first example is D-Day happened on June the 6th. 1944, and it took another 11 months until May 1945 for the Nazi forces to be completely pushed back before they completely surrendered at the end of World War II in Europe. It took 11 months. The victory had been won on the 6th of June. The D-Day landings on the beaches of Normandy when the Allied forces came in and took back that land was the start of the victory. And Everybody knew from then that the war was probably going to be won. They had broken the back of the enemy forces, but then they still had to fight the war. In Jersey, those last 11 months of the occupation were the worst because even though the war was being won in Europe, 
In Jersey, the Nazi forces doubled down. There was less food. There was more oppression. There was more cruelty. And right up until the day before Liberation Day, the Nazis were still denying the fact that the war was going to be lost. They were saying, we are winning, we are going to win, and they were being cruel. So that last period of time when the enemy knows he's beaten, but he still has some uh, presence is, is the worst. And that's what Revelation is talking about. The second example from World War II is the difference between VE Day, Victory in Europe Day in May 1945, and Victory in Japan Day in August 1945, when even though the war was over, the forces in the Far East refused to surrender. And there were horrific things that happened in those few months. And the war had to be fought. The, the victory had to be enforced. Let me read you a passage from Psalm 110. It says, the Lord said to my Lord, so God said to Jesus, come and sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus has won the victory. He's died on the cross. God receives him into heaven. He says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. There are still enemies that have to be crushed. He says, the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. There's going to be the sending out from Jerusalem to the whole world where he starts to rule and his kingdom is expanded. Isaiah says of the increase of his government and rule, there will be no end. Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, extend the kingdom. So that, that's the next part. And then verse three says, your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. Difficult language to understand, but let me read it to you in a different version. The New International says, your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Friend, are you a willing troop? Are you a volunteer? Are you one of those who says, yes, Lord, I know you've won the victory, but I am willing. I'm signing up to be part of your enforcing army. It says, arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. And there's this picture of these little glistening dots of dew on the grass. As the sun comes up, those little shining lights of dew are all the little soldiers of God all around the world who receive his light, shine it out and push back the darkness. Friends, you and I have an amazing privilege. We've been given the power of God. You know, Jesus said when he sent out his disciples in Luke 9 and Luke 10, uh, I give you authority. Luke 10, he says, I give you authority over snakes and scorpions and over all the works of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm you. He says, go, take this authority. All authority has been given to me. Now you go. And as we go, we have the power of God. We have the word of God. We have the armor in Ephesians chapter six that protects us. And we have everything we need to enforce the victory. In James, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I am so grateful to the men and women of World War II who paid with their lives for our freedom.
But I want to say to you that the heroism of Jesus is greater. The magnitude of the price that he paid is greater. The victory that he won is greater and is eternal. And it is more important than economics or politics or democracy or freedom. It is eternity. It is life in heaven versus eternity away from God in hell. That is what he paid for. And the price of that victory was so extreme that you and I would be cowards or foolish to turn away and say, no, I don't want to be part of this war. You know, the thing about a war like World War II is that everybody is involved, whether they like it or not. Everybody is impacted. Even the countries who said, no, we're neutral. We're not going to get involved. Their economies were affected. Their freedom was affected. Their lives were affected. The whole world is affected by a war like this. And I want to say to you that your life is affected by this war, but you can choose and I can choose today. Am I going to be on the side of the willing volunteer troops who say, Lord, clothe me in the beauty of holiness. Let me shine your light. Let me speak your word. Let me pray your prayers. Let me tell my neighbor about your love and your sacrifice. Because you see, our enemies are not flesh and blood. We don't fight against people. It's not fighting people and, and saying, you bad, you're stupid, I'm going to stop you. It's not even politics. Jesus never tried to change the politics of his day. It's primarily about telling people the gospel. And the enemy that we push back is the devil and his demons. That's how we push him back, through the words of our mouths, the blood of the lamb and the words of our testimony. We pray, we proclaim, we act with love and kindness, and we show people the message of Jesus. Lord Jesus, I'm just so grateful to you. First of all, for those who sacrificed in the war to buy us our liberty, but mostly, Lord Jesus, I'm grateful to you for dying for me, for beating the devil, for overcoming him at every single battle. And then in the final victory for taking the keys of death in Hades. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you disarmed the powers and the principalities. And thank you, Lord, that you give us, your troops, the weapons we need the power we need, your presence with us, your peace, your joy, your direction, your strength, and you help us to step up. I pray, Lord, that at this time when we are under certain restrictions of, of COVID-19 lockdown, I pray, Lord, that you would inspire us to realize we've been given much and much is expected of us. We've got a great, great task to fulfill. We've got great opportunities in this time, and this can be our finest hour. We can step up and enforce the victory. And I thank you, Lord, that you said when the gospel has been proclaimed to every nation, then the end will come. And we're so close, Lord. We pray that your gospel would reach every nation, every tribe, every language, every person around the world. And Lord Jesus, that we would see you coming back in the clouds soon to take us home. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.